Hello and welcome to the Swift Coders Podcast, where each week we interview an amazing Swift developer about their experience with Apple's new open source programming language. We hear their stories, learn their tips and tricks, and try to leave you feeling inspired and empowered on your Swift Coder journey. I'm your host, Garrick, and today's guest is Garo Husenjian. Garo is an iOS developer at TigerText, a secure messaging platform for healthcare and enterprise. Welcome to the show, Garo. Thanks, Garrick. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So Garo and I met technically, I guess, at Cocoa Heads LA at Pivotal Labs. But the first time I saw Garo in person was at General Assembly at the Twitter Dev Swift Coders meetup. And he was asking Yuriv a bunch of questions, which was awesome. But I didn't actually meet Garo <laughs> that night. Uh, we met at Coco Heads, where Garo was presenting his talk on code coverage and architecture. Is that correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so his talk was really awesome. It was slightly over my head, and I want to get into that a little later. But I just really liked Garo's whole style. He was He just seemed super nice, super relaxed, laid back, and very knowledgeable and very passionate, actually, about what he was talking about. And so I immediately after the talk went up to him and said, hey, I want to interview you for the Swift Coders podcast. And he said, yes. That's so nice. Thank you so much. <laughs> so, Garo, you work at Tiger Text. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. Yeah, so Tiger Text is a uh, great place where we build uh, a platform and an app, actually Android, iOS, web uh, apps for messaging and healthcare, which essentially improves communication efficiency in hospitals and, and other you know uh, clinical environments um, and it's basically centered around you know a combination of HIPAA compliance and a lot of uh, various tools to help people communicate in an environment where uh, personal information is highly protected and there's a lot of uh, you know compliance requirements and overhead which otherwise might impede their use of things like text messaging and um, email and those kinds of things. So, you know, we empower doctors to communicate. Awesome. So where are you guys based out of? We're in Santa Monica. Cool. Yeah, the office is there. There's about 85 people there. It's a really nice place. Yeah, I'd love to work in Santa Monica. Maybe one day. I'm in Hollywood Uh at Santa Monica, right by the beach. It's nice and beautiful and clean. Yeah. Really lucky to have uh, that Silicon Beach out there. Yeah, I enjoy it. I, I do. So yeah, just in case you no know, uh, uh, people don't know HIPAA compliance, it's uh, you know when you're dealing with patient information, there are certain regulations that say you know you have to be very careful with um, you know who you're giving your patient information to, and so you know you're building a secure messaging platform so that you know doctors and and um, patients et cetera can communicate securely and not worry about uh, you know breaking the laws or not necessarily breaking the law but going against these regulations and these compliance issues. That's right. That's cool. So how long have you been working there? About a year. Awesome. Yeah. What were you doing before? So before that, I was at a company called Roll, uh, R-O-W-L, and this was like an event sharing, event discovery uh, tool that um, originally was called Overnear, and we had built it up over about three years. And uh, in February of uh, last year, it kind of uh, basically didn't work out. Um, for various reasons, the company kept going, but the product development um, was was ended. It was a wonderful product. We we'd iterated on it for uh, multiple versions of iOS, and it was really where I would say I learned the most uh, in my in my journey um, of iOS development. So before that, I had been doing smaller projects. Uh, this nice tool for um, sort of personal cognitive behavioral therapy in your pocket called Mood Kit. This is like a mood improvement activities and, and thought journaling app that a couple of uh, really well-respected psychologists here in LA had uh, conceived and asked me to build. So that was kind of like my first commercial project as a consultant. And uh, before and after that, I had done a couple of music applications. One of them was Polyrhythms, which is my kind of personal experiment that I shipped to the App Store. It was kind of like my first real app. And uh, that was released for the iPad on the launch of the iPad. 
And then shortly after that, I had done this other app, which is an interactive um, sort of play along experience where you basically play a song and you can just kind of interact with the iPad and everything you do sounds really good according to that song. So it was a kind of tracking the harmony and rhythm in, in that in that song and matching it. That, that actually is not in the App Store, but it was a, a wonderful project. One of my favorite things I've ever worked on. That's um, cool. Yeah. So the Roll app, I, I totally forgot that you mentioned that to me before when we talked at Cocoa Head. So as I said, Roll, I remember that because I was doing competitive analysis for an event, you know, promotion discovery application that I yes. was building, which is actually my passion project, which cool. has kind of got me to where I am now. Um, but, you know, I've kind of put it off to the side because, you know, it's hard to build a social network. It is um, so hard. Yeah. So and then you said polyrhythms. What uh, frameworks did you use, like Core Audio or, or anything interesting for yeah. polyrhythms? Polyrhythms is is Core Audio uh, with OpenAL. So it's interesting that Core Audio provides essentially the timer. So it's an extremely um, reliable, high frequency callback. Uh, like every five milliseconds, uh, more or less, you get a reliable callback, and that's fast enough to schedule um, OpenAL events. So is that for like synchronizing the audio? Yeah, essentially it's to it's to control the timing of the audio. There's other ways to do this that are deeper in core audio that I kind of didn't really have the skills at the on the at the onset because I had literally just taught myself from Stanford's you know iTunes U courses. Uh, Shout out to the Stanford iTunes U course for sure. It's like the best the best course for for people starting out. I, I really gained so much from it. Um, but I, I I kind of made it you know it was really kind of pieced together. Uh, but it worked immediately and it was something that the nice thing about it what was really helpful was that it was very clear building polyrhythms what polyrhythms was because I had built it in like 97 on this old MIDI compatible system on a Mac SE30 wow. in college. So I already had the interface uh, clear in my mind and the, the, the user experience was very clear. Um, and it was just a matter of execution, and that's exactly what I kind of needed. So I built it in about, I don't know, if I remember, it was about two to three weeks of work uh, just to get that view uh, working, get all the kind of button states and the timer going, and then, and then map to a set of you know, reasonable percussion sounds. And it was a very, very uh, simple thing. And then there was a few bug fixes, but um, you know, unfortunately, I, I hadn't gotten back to polyrhythms for a few years when I started doing like, you know, professional development and until very recently. So Swift was released and I was drawn to sort of, you know, kind of learn Swift as quickly as I could. And Polyrhythm seemed like a perfect project to go back and essentially refactor and get back into the lower level APIs for core audio, which uh, have improved so much. So it was actually really fortunate because by the time I got back to it, it had gotten you know a lot more um, approachable, and awesome. so now there's a version of Polyrhythms that I hope to ship uh, in the next few weeks. Okay, uh, with... so we'll make sure we have a link to that then. Yeah, that, sure, that would be great. Um, but yeah, it's written in Swift now, um, except for the one core audio, like the deepest part of the core audio engine, which is still um, you know using those original APIs, but. But everything else is swift all around it. It's cleaned up and re-architected. And um, it's a really good exercise uh, just to review some really old code and, and learn from what I had done in the past. Essentially, how could it be done better and redo it and rework it and improve it? And so that's been a really educational. Awesome. Okay, so you work at Tiger Text now. You uh, were creating an iOS app with Roll. Um, one of your first projects was uh, polyrhythm for iOS, but even before that, you were working on polyrhythm, uh, and then you said this play along uh, application is pl- pl- what was the play along app called? Uh, it's it was called Magicord when we made it, but it's not available on the App Store anymore. It's not. It's it's a it's kind of a private label thing. So part of it is uh, is you know needs to you need to license this content, and so that that process never kind of uh, completed. Uh, but but it's. Yeah, it's a real thing, and, and I and I, I genuinely hope to to, to release it one day um, with with the partner that I worked on it with, and and so that could be something to to talk about maybe um, when yeah. it, when it's ready. I'm gonna reach out to you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna okay. let you know. Um, so one thing I'll mention though, Polyrhythms is plural because there's a Polyrhythm app singular that is essentially like a almost like a metronome. 
Okay. Um, well, but, but yeah. We'll make sure fun. we link to it then. So it sounds like you've worked on some really cool projects. How did you actually get into programming in the first place? Uh, is this something that you've been doing your whole life, or did you kind of fall into it recently, like off, me? Yeah, on and off, I'd done it my whole life, but I would say more off, really. Uh, so I, my earliest experiences were, you know, when I was about maybe 9 to 12 years old. Um, I actually had, so my cousin, uh, second cousin, Mark Buchanan, uh, just a wonderful uh, human being, lived up the street from me. And so I used to walk up to his house, and his... Uh, you know, he had this IBM PC and he used to program in basic and um, do like little two and a half dimensional like uh, graphical, uh, you know, programs, like really simple things. At the time, it was completely uh, magical and mind blowing. And I, I didn't understand the math. And it, it was a it was just it was just a really cool thing to sit and, and watch, like to just discover what computers could do. And then slowly it was about, you know, learning basic and, and just applying little ideas. And uh, my uh, great friend uh, Vaughn and I um, would, you know, pr program basic on, on his Apple IIe. And I didn't actually get my computer, my first computer, until uh, 1984. I uh, happened upon a Macintosh. And uh, so kind of from there it was, it was all about the Mac. And um, during that time my main interaction with computers was audio like you know MIDI uh, synthesizers and sequencers and, and making um, I would like record MIDI and move notes around and, and just really uh, you know using computers as a music tool right uh, that's what I did for the most part for a long time and uh, I kind of got thrust back into programming um, I guess I'll say late or mid 90s um, so I went to Berkeley, and at Berkeley there were um, a lot of really amazing computer science uh, people, friends of ours, and so it was really intriguing to kind of observe kind of what they were doing. But I was at the time studying something sort of outside of the computing world, which was uh, biophysics, and and it was it was about physics and sort of chemistry, and um, I was kind of on track to go to medical school, and I made this decision that it wasn't for me. So I had this period of time where I didn't know what I was going to be doing with my life. And uh, I had graduated with that degree and kind of looked around and I realized, uh, you know, with as I was using computers, that the internet was this very uh, promising sort of uh, launch pad for it seemed like almost any career choice. Um, a friend and I started a, a company to build websites for people, and we built tiny little websites, and I learned um, essentially from HTML to Perl a little bit to PHP a lot, um, got into like a lot of database level um, application development in PHP, and that was kind of like the, the main focus of my career from about 2000 on to, you know, about... Uh, like 2013 or so. So uh, overlapping my iOS development was uh, the tail end of doing web applications in PHP. Um, I had a company called Zapnet um, that is still kind of a thing, but but I've more or less retired that company in favor of um, working on larger projects in iOS um, in you know on larger teams, and that was kind of what brought me into the startup world. So uh, I guess that's 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 the the the, the most of the story. I, I'm sure I left out a lot of things, but um, no, that's an incredible story. I mean, you were at Berkeley, which is an amazing place for computers. I know they what they built something like they invented the internet or something. I know that, <laughs> right? And sorry, yeah, some of the early research was there, but, right? Yeah, and so, but a lot of institutions. But. But you're doing something different. You were studying um, biophysics. You were thinking about going to medical school, but you had this feeling. You were thinking, no, this isn't for me. Mm -hmm. And you saw this opportunity. You saw something else that was for you. And it, for some reason, it spoke to you. And um, you decided, let me let me start this company and build websites. And how did you how did you make the jump to actually be the coder? Because you could have just started this company and been a business person oh, or that is whatever. The best, that's the best question. Honestly, I, I was not the coder. I was writing HTML and I thought that was code. And it, it is, you know, it was essentially, uh, 
my my uh, transition was by was kind of not by choice. Uh, well, first of all, I was interested in everything that was happening. Uh, I, I left out an important detail, which is like my my closest friend Alan uh, and I started that company together. It was originally called Harmony Works, and so we were both also loved music, and so that kind of gave rise to the name. But the company was was about websites, and he was the coder and he was you know i remember this one night we were um we had a deadline we're building a this e-commerce application uh it was like an e-commerce website for uh, a jeweler in los angeles and we were gonna sell i think it was uh, little diamond rings or something and he built this and it was all happening in my parents kitchen because we had traveled to la to at, you know, for a few days and he was working on finishing this project and we were supposed to present it. And we were up till like two in the morning building out all the intricate details of this thing and finally came together and um, throughout that process, there was a lot of discussion, like how should we design this and how should we structure that? And of course, I'm interested in the code that was being written, but I wasn't necessarily writing that part of it. And over time, I just became more and more interested in the whole just to understand the whole thing, right? The, the 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 big picture kind of stuff, right? And that led to more and more technical discussion, where I was picking up these back end concepts and understanding how the front end decisions would influence the design of the back end and vice versa, and just formed a, a sort of a sensibility about the 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 architecture of the system rather than what the UI looks like or what the database model happens to be or how it's implemented in what programming language on what type of server like all those details mattered less than this big picture understanding and so over time that got me more and more interested in well what's going on with the code obviously and uh, we got involved in a startup we had a, a, a client that ballooned into a startup and hired a bunch of people and this was during the big you know dot com push in like 99, 2000 right. timeframe. And that company kind of blew up uh, in 2000 as most of those companies had at the time. That was in San Francisco. And my partner, Alan, uh, found this really great opportunity at a larger startup that was more established and kind of got out of the sort of individual consulting kind of uh, mindset and kind of went into this more corporate kind of uh developer world and my instinct at that time was to kind of take control of the, of my own fate essentially and go back to our consulting company and run it so at that time HarmonyWorks kind of stopped and it became ZapNet and I became kind of the the main um, you know I kind of like took over the business and so I was bringing in the jobs. I had uh, three or four people at the time doing a lot of the work, but the main programmer um, was this brilliant uh, young mathematician and computer scientist um, named Andy. And Andy was a student and, just, and had stopped going, you know, he had stopped his uh, education. It was like between his sophomore and junior year. And, I ha and he was just writing code like crazy. And I was looking at it. We talk about it. He was mainly writing it. And then one day he's like, yeah, I'm going to have to go back to school and finish. And I was like, oh, yeah. I kind of uh, forgot about that. Mm -hmm. um, at that moment, within, I think, four weeks, I had made that decision that I was going to um, take that over. Rather the coding. Than try yeah, the coding. And, and I became like the principal PHP developer. And I'd learned enough uh, to pick that up and you know the beautiful thing about PHP I think is very similar in a lot of ways to iOS today is that it's almost expected that you either teach yourself or or pick it up really quickly it's almost designed to bootstrap um, and I, I love that about both uh, communities um, so that said I learned PHP and over the course of the next, you know, two, three years was just picking up as much as I could. And then I think, you know, I felt very, very comfortable uh, writing PHP for the next decade. And, and we just built a lot of really interesting things, just 
uh, for different different clients. So we did a big system for for the casinos in Southern California, the poker casinos to manage their promotions. Uh, we did this live poker uh, broadcast, which involved like video streaming and my PHP stack and a camera crew. Uh, we kind of toured with that production to Vegas and did these live like this is when the poker TV thing was really right. getting big. Right. So we did live poker uh, broadcasts, like poker tournaments and live cash games. We actually broadcast 15 hours a week, uh, like three hours a night of, of uh, live cash game poker out of the bicycle casino. And it was a, it was just a major production, but it, but it was integrating all of those skills. So it sounds like you got into programming over a period of time, but in a way it was out of both curiosity and necessity. So Absolutely. how did you go from uh, more of a web developer, uh, HTML, P uh, Perl, and PHP to then iOS in, it sounds like maybe 2012, 2013. Was that also out of necessity or? Well, iOS I started studying in 08, like okay. essentially at the beginning, but I wasn't, but I still had... I essentially had contracts that were that so by day I was really still a web developer and so I was studying I think I built this I don't know if you remember in the early days of um, iOS almost always jailbreak uh, there were these iPod simulators where you could you basically have an iPod on the screen of oh your interesting iPhone. no I yeah. never heard about that no. yeah so I built one of those for fun you know it's like my uh, while I was doing the iTunes U thing I was like okay I need to try to build something and in Photoshop sort of built out this but a non jailbroken one yeah it, because I never shipped it to the App Store you know they oh. would never that would be rejected immediately of course um, but it was just an exercise and I, I was like well let me build something that I could kind of be interested in or be kind of fun um, and that was the thing I had built just on my own and so yeah it was it was like around that time so it that, sounds like iOS was more out of curiosity you had an iPhone or maybe an iPod and you were like this is cool I'm a programmer let me try to program it yeah essentially let me learn this and program it and so like let me understand what is a compiler right because I'm writing PHP and it's like save push it to the you know to the web and run it is there was no there was no uh, build phase, right? So it was a totally different um, experience, and I just wanted to get deeper into uh, sort of the the underlying, uh, you know, the idea of compiled software and and strong types and these kinds of things were very interesting. They were very new to me uh, at that time. What do you think it is about the iPhone and I would say let's say the iPhone and everyone? It seems like a lot of people are getting excited. And the way they get into programming now, that's how I did. It was like, I want to make an app. And I meet a lot of people who are new to programming at my meetup, and they all want to build an app, but then they end up maybe becoming a programmer like me. Mm -hmm. And what do you think it is that gets people so excited? Um, I think it's because it's so important to our lives. We use these phones so much. But I also think there's an element of necessity. Like, mm -hmm. it just makes sense because there's this thing that's so important in every you know a lot of people's lives it's necessitating this kind of there's something in the air you know what yeah, i mean absolutely what do, you, what do you think i think uh so when you have a, a essentially a creative endeavor like programming uh you know design essentially you're designing this thing you're not just building it right you have a vision and you're materializing this to have something that when you're in the you're doing this creative process and it and you produce something and that thing that you produced is extremely valuable. So it's exactly what you're saying. You know, this this is this is part of our lives. So unlike maybe other creative uh, you know outlets, not to say those things aren't valuable. Of course, you know it's it's amazing, and and we need art and and music and and all these things. Right. Somehow, the 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 convergence of of uh, Technology and business and creativity, design, user experience—all these things—they they just make it. It just—it's like this perfect storm yeah. of applying yourself to something and having these tangible results. And the other thing about it, which is amazing, is you can make mistakes and you can fix them. Right. So you <laughs> iterate, you know, and, and you improve. So Polyrhythms in 2010 was a view controller with, you know, probably just over a thousand lines of code and it kind of did everything 
and the Swift version can break it down and, and really, you know, segregate the layers and treat, you know, treat the parts of the system um, as they kind of deserve to be treated, you know, and, and Yeah, and so there's this, iter there's this iterative process as a part of the creative process, Absolutely. which makes it, so I think you bring up a really good point that kind of inspires me to think about something like this, which is um, programming for iOS is, it's like a new creative platform. It's, whereas, that touches more people. Whereas like the desktop, it was only what, 100 million households or something in, yeah. in the US or something like that. Right. Uh, now you have billions of people with these these phones. It's That's like right. a new creative expression, um, like, like art, like painting, sculpting, photography, music, all the creative expressions that came before it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so and everybody, I think, has some amount of creativity in them. So yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. Okay, so before we uh, move to the next segment where we talk about Swift, um, I just wanna kind of wrap up with one question mm -hmm. and it's, you went from being in, uh, in, in Berkeley, uh, studying biophysics, maybe uh, you know, becoming a, a doctor, going to med school, becoming a doctor, then uh, you, know, you started your own business and you were doing web development. Then you uh, started doing iOS development and here you are now um, working for a really interesting company doing iOS. Back then, could you ever have imagined where you are now? Um, it, it's, it was a, you know, a long period and there were a lot of challenges, I'm sure. And there's people out there like me where we kind of see where, where we want it to go. Um, but here we are now and and you know we have to be patient and, and kind of do the do the work to get there could you have ever imagined like did you see that back then that you would be where you are now yeah i probably not i i would i think there was this this definite interest in the the technology world particularly what the internet was going to do to change the world we live in and and i think that that attracted me so strongly that I didn't necessarily care exactly where that would lead me, but that I knew wherever that was was going to be fine, that it was going to be important, that it was going to be a good fruitful. investment. Yes, and that the, exactly, and that the timing was amazing because I started very close to the beginning of that transformation. Now I'm very sort of like you know I really I really see these young younger programmers you know essentially who are born into the internet have this amazing perspective on it that they only know the world the way it is kind of with con a connected world with social networks and all That's these things but for me it was like watching that all kind of evolve from the ground up um you know i i think i think you know i, I kind of watched google happen i watched facebook happen it was interesting and I need to go hang out with some younger, some younger people and get their perspective. No, yes. I totally, I totally agree. And I think that, I think it's still relevant. I think there's still so much opportunity. Um, Absolutely. And, and even more. We're um, so, it's such a young industry, even today with, with all of the history we have, it's very, very new. It, it's going to change so much. We won't recognize it probably in another few years and, you know, and down the road, it's going it, to, I can't, I don't know what's going to happen next. So to answer your original question, I didn't know that the iPhone was going to change my entire career, and um, I'm so thankful for the people that came up with it. You know, I I do remember very clearly looking at my old you know Motorola Razor and thinking that I just wish Apple would make a phone already. You know, <laughs> and that was like the the sentiment. But no one expected it to be the iPhone. I think they just wanted a phone that looked nicer and was easier to dial. Uh, you know, in, in a way, like we didn't know what what that we couldn't have known what it was going to become. I don't even think Apple really knew, uh, to be honest, because if you remember, they weren't going to do an app store. Um, and they were happy with the phone with a contact list and a calendar and it kind of was just a better version of the existing cell phones. And of course, that was absolutely not the case. You know, this is a computing platform. Right. Yeah. And they just had the web apps. I, I sent them a feedback, uh, mm -hmm. you know, email or however it through their feedback form and telling them before the iPhone, like everything that because there was a lot of rumors leading up to the iPhone, you know, and I sent them feedback saying like, this is what it should do. You know, it should be a camera. It should be a projector. You should, it should be a, a touchpad where you can use it as with like a stylus and uh, control your computer and all these different things. And I was like, and it should be called ideal. Hmm. 
you know, like yeah. a, like, like a uh, dealio and yeah, like right. a, the ideal device. It's so <laughs> funny. And, uh, and anyways, so I invented the iPhone, everybody. Thank you. Excellent. Good I'm job. Kidding. So thank you so much for sharing, uh, sharing all that in your story. So before we transition to um, learning about your experience with Swift, I want to um, I want to talk about my uh, one of my Learn Swift LA members, Mark Sim, and I just want to say thank you so much. I'm going to be thanking a lot of my members. Um, so Mark Sim was one of the first people to join Learn Swift LA and extend his space um, at that time I believe it was Bizhaz in Marina del Rey as a place where Learn Swift LA could meet and I had just launched the meetup and to have someone go out of their way to say hey you can uh, come to my space and meet meant so much to me and it was so encouraging um, and it, it it led to you know where I am now and so Mark thank you so much he's the CEO of Mupon uh, I'll uh, do a link, put a link in the show notes, but it's a, it's an app that you can get from the, the app store. He's building it with his dev, uh, development team, but he came to Learn Swift LA to become a more educated CEO in terms of the technical uh, side. Um, so uh, yeah, thank you so much, Mark. So Garo, let's learn a little bit about, well, not a little bit, let's learn a lot about your experience with Swift. So Swift came out in June, 2014. It was announced uh, do you remember, I assume you were watching or maybe you mm-hmm. had to watch later. Um, you know, I, I can't wait for, for Dove Dove every year. Right. So were you, do you remember where you were or like Swift was announced? What were you, what was going through your mind? Cause I didn't believe it. I believe it shocked everybody. Yeah, it was a shock. Uh, no, I don't think anyone was expecting it. Um, we were waiting for probably some objective C feature of the year kind of thing. And, and it was a whole another another language you know that that was incredible i think i was at work that day uh probably at roll and watching on the live stream uh i had not gotten uh, a ticket that year to wwdc um, so you've been before yeah i've actually been to three and i, and I oh, love wow. WWDC. it's like the best experience so i can't I wait in, to go yeah 10 11 and 13 uh were the years that i could attend and um you know so one of those was was Steve Jobs' last appearance, and that oh, was wow. like quite an experience. Wow! But uh, but yeah, so so that was really uh, a shocker. Swift was amazing; it was so promising. And um, what was your initial thought? I thought it was a great thing. I, I I have to say, probably for a minute, I must have thought to myself that you know, uh, like all that Objective C knowledge, you know. But <laughs> but I think that was like a very funny reaction. I think bittersweet. Or, yeah, but but I did I did not I I did not um, feel I, I trust that something like this is going to be so well thought out, and everybody knew the origins of Objective C go back so far, and compared to you know most or all modern modern languages, you know there's just a, the legacy of Objective C is is considerable. And there's a lot of power in that legacy, and there's a lot of uh, you know deep knowledge embedded. If you if you take the time to understand kind of how Objective C works and why you can do the things you can do with it, I think that's really great. I also think that there's this level of um, the, baggage. The, yeah, and I don't want to call it baggage. I want to call it control. I think the thing is that you can do everything in a way that essentially you think about exactly how something is going to happen at a la- at a layer of the, of the application that you probably don't want to care about so you're drawn into like this this certain things of memory management and pointers and you know other other implementation details uh, you know like creating a mutable array to iterate through and build, you know, to filter something or those kinds of things um, where you're kind of distracted by the how and you're really concerned about the what. And I think the the purpose, one of the main things about Swift is to, is to surface what you're trying to achieve when you're reading code and essentially let the compiler or the language or the standard library um, help reduce that the when you and in this case maybe baggage was a perfect word you know is what's going to happen versus how it actually needs to happen um, and there's a lot of advantages to that you know they can improve performance uh, while you're sleeping 
because of the way you know iterations are are internally implemented or compiler optimization optimizations can can speed up your existing code versus if you had implemented that particular pass uh, it's never going to really improve right it's always going to have to run in a sequence and it's always going to be for you know a through you know k in in order versus maybe you can parallelize parallelize something or you know take advantage of some other uh, you know, new feature in the libraries that, again, you don't know about. Those are kind of just implementation details. Um, it involves trusting the authors of the language, trusting the authors of the library, of course, the community and contributors. So the fact that they open sourced it was incredibly exciting. Um, I, I realized that was, so when they announced it was going to be open source, it was the second year, I think. Yeah. 2015. Um, so we yep. waited for that to finally drop the day that website was launched. It was just so exciting to see. Um, that was just like this fall, like yeah. whatever, I don't know, September, November or something, you know, it's yeah. incredible. Yeah. So, okay. Sorry, go ahead. No, but basically, so backing up to the, that original time frame, it was like, yeah, let's, let's read everything I could get, you know, the PDF and there was, there started to be some, some examples. And so you started reading the, the Swift book as soon as it came out? Oh yeah, yeah. I, oh wow. I, I was just gonna read basically whatever I could find at the time. Um, so I did this this conference called CocoConf, um, which I right. definitely could recommend. And and Daniel Steinberg um, gave a one day Swift um, sort of jumpstart course. So you get there a day early and you just do an eight hour session. It was you know obviously with some breaks and learn um, kind of the basics of Swift and. And he just does such a great job. He's just a re really great um, instructor and, and teacher. And um, so he, so I did that, and that was really helpful. Um, and I'm trying to remember what when I actually started writing Swift. Um, I think I did a couple little experiments in playgrounds and kind of went back to work, you know, writing Objective C. And and I just kind of did that back and forth of of doing some experimenting and then and then. Um, trying to think of ways to apply it. And I think the polyrhythms rewrite kind of came to me more recently. Um, but before that, yeah, I, I didn't have a chance to really use it a lot, um, but I've just been following it as closely as I can, um, you know, since it was introduced. Yeah, awesome. So you, when it came out in, in June 2014, it sounds like you jumped right in, in terms of learning it. Mm -hmm. um, but for whatever you were building at the time, you weren't able to put it into your production code. Is that correct? Yeah, that's okay. right. So, but you didn't you didn't waste any time in learning it because I I meet Objective C developers and I hear from Objective C developers that haven't even really started looking into it. Like for instance, I think Marco Arment, for mm -hmm. instance, like a huge iOS developer, he admits on under the radar like he doesn't even he hasn't even started working with Swift, which it's not that big of a deal, right? Because a developer like that he could probably just jump in and he has no need. But you, you're an Objective-C developer. You jumped right in. Um, I, I wasn't an Objective-C developer. I tried learning Objective-C, and uh, it was difficult. So I jumped right in on the bandwagon. Um, you know, I, I was really excited. Why did, why did you? You didn't have to, right? Was it just some excitement about yeah, it, or what was I mean, it? It just came, came down to, like, adrenaline, right? I mean, I, I want to be, be on top of what's happening, you know, in iOS, um, it's just a, it's just this instinct. Like I, I just need to consume whatever it is that's out there. I um, totally it, understand. It's maybe like a slightly an obsession, but, but I would say that it's, it's just a curiosity and an interest and it's my career. So, uh, you know, I don't want to be sort of missing any details when it comes to, you know, making decisions. Um, so I'll give you an example. You have to kind of read a lot, right? It, it's, Using it, I think, is essential. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't claim any expertise in Swift myself until I've been able to ship an application with Swift. The I think the Polyrhythms is a great thing because it was my first Objective C app, and it's also going to be kind of my first Swift app. Um, but I think the there's a lot of guidance from Apple about interact, you know, interopping Objective C and Swift, and and so they're not asking you to rewrite your code. But certainly, I'm interested in the stories like you know Lyft, and more recently, it was Vimeo that released an all Swift, um, you know, brand new rewrite, um, and I and I expect that kind of thing to keep happening. That we're going to hear more and more 
companies embracing Swift, especially after 2.0, and I feel like even more after 3.0. That 3.0 is the binary compatibility. It's been open source for a long time. There's been considerable feedback from the community, and we're able to see what is going to change in Swift 3. So we don't have to wait until WWDC to be surprised to learn that all these APIs are going to change or there's a new migration tool or it's not going to compile anymore. All these things that um, that we were kind of like surprised in, during Swift 2. So Swift 1.0 family was very early days. It would have been uh, arguably not wise to invest heavily for you know, for, for a large startup or a company with a large team, those kinds of issues could, could be um, difficult. And so Andy Matushak talks about, uh, you know, he's ex-Apple, uh, worked on iOS until iOS 8, now leads Khan Academy. He talked a lot about writing, you know, Swift 1.0 or 1.1, 1.2 uh, for their rewrite of their app and, and some of the challenges they faced. And he, I, I can say, I don't want to speak for him, but I don't think he would have recommended it to someone else if they were going to repeat that experience. I think he was happy to be kind of the front runner and and, and take on that challenge. But, you know, it, it was early. So now we're kind of coming to this point. Uh, Swift 2 solidified a lot of the language features and kind of fleshed it out a lot in the, you know, with Guard and, and other, you know, language additions, protocol extensions. And I think Swift 3 will be the one that really brings it into the mainstream I would say for larger companies, um, you know, it's it's great time to learn Swift 2 uh, because when the changes come in Swift 3, you're going to already kind of have followed the evolution, right? So read read the evolution blog, read those proposals because you're getting a glimpse into how it's going to evolve and what you need to understand about, you know, the decisions that were made in the early versions of Swift and how that might affect the later versions of Swift, you know, especially the next one. Um, and so it's, it's, it's possible to kind of keep up with it and be ahead of the releases. Uh, so I think that's really encouraging and the open source Swift was, was such a huge advantage um, for the language to gain traction. And, and so I, I see that happening. I, I'm, I'm so excited about it. Yeah, so am I. How, how do you follow along with Open Source Swift? It sounds like you uh, follow or receive the some of the mailing lists, Swift Evolution. Yeah. Uh, how do you follow along with it? Yeah, I, I kind of, I'm using Twitter to filter it for me. Uh, so I follow people like, like er, Erica Sadun, I don't know how to pronounce her name, but um, she puts out, uh, she's actually writing a lot of the proposals, which is amazing because she's, you know, part of the community, not necessarily Apple, um, but she's very well respected. And so she right. puts out, uh, tweets and and there's uh, these newsletters I really like like uh, iOS Dev Weekly and there's a few that I can maybe link to or, or send you the links later but um, I, I just get an email about maybe two or three emails a week you know Natasha the robot covers it really well right um, just a lot of sources I mean I feel like this community is so open in the last few years it's even become more open and more people um, sort of landing in in the sort of visible part of the of the Twitter world and and just constantly communicating. So I found it really useful uh, to kind of ride Twitter as a means of filtering down and, and kind of distilling what's happening in Swift. And, th and that's been pretty good. I, I think there's probably, I could probably do, be a little more active and go and you can just go to the GitHub page and, and read the proposals and understand some of the ones that are being considered. And it's also just as interesting to see what they reject because you know people want languages to be convenient and easy and they want things to be short and sweet but that's not always you know going to serve the language the best I, I think swift is really trying to balance this idea of readability and terseness you know uh, concise but also clarity and uh, you know not having ambiguity in the language and these kinds of things with the strong typing um, and a lot of the conventions now that they're talking about the API guidelines, how to actually write uh, an API to be used by other people. So if you're shipping a framework or even if you're writing your own kind of like, you know, uh, model layer in your application, you know, how should your methods read? How should they how should they work together? You know, what are the best practices? 
And right. so the final thing I'll mention is like how the community is so uh, you know, almost ahead of the Swift team in terms of defining a lot of those where you see people like you know shipping libraries to help them do you know, futures and, and Swifty networking and Swifty NS user defaults because now that it's open source, you, know, you don't really have to wait for Apple to sort of set the standard. Of course, we want guidance from Apple and the Swift group, but we also want the community to be um, sort of free to invent some of those um, you know, externally, and I think that's really encouraging as well. Yeah, it's so exciting. And it, sometimes it can be kind of overwhelming because there's so much happening and so many people talking about it. But what I would recommend is if you're interested in following along, Jesse Squires, mm -hmm. I believe is how you pronounce his name. He has a Swift Weekly Brief, I think it's called. Yeah. Um, and he basically each week goes through all of the proposals, accepted, rejected, proposed, um, yeah, and that's a good one. et cetera. Um, yeah. And merge pull requests, uh, pull requests, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I just read it on Apple news. Actually, you can subscribe oh, to cool. it through there and, um, it's really good. It's not a, a long read, mm -hmm. but it kind of keeps you up to date. And then there's this iOS app called charter that uh, someone put out and you can kind of just read the mailing list through there. Swift evolution, Swift users and Swift uh, dev. Um, and then there's that Herundo, uh, Mac client where you can just subscribe. It's like automatically subscribe to the mailing list and it's like optimized for, for viewing them. Uh, but you know, if you're just kind of starting out or you're just starting to learn Swift, I don't think you need to put pressure on yourself to get so involved. I think naturally through your interest, that's kind of how it, how it's happened for me. You'll, you will, um, follow along. Yeah. Um, but ultimately eventually you should, um, because, uh, you know, it is it is changing. I don't know. At some point, it'll probably be more stable, um, as you said, Swift three, um, but it'll always change, right? Yeah, yeah. It's gonna keep changing. They're not gonna ship Swift three and then say, okay, we finished. You know, and, and then for ten years, nothing happens, right? They're which gonna is, be adding features and changing things, and so that's yeah, which is really cool. It's really exciting to me. I feel like they're viewing their language. And, and their development platforms as a product themselves. And That's I feel right. like I feel like we're going to see that even more and more. Um, I'm surprised it's actually so hard to find the developer.apple.com website. Oh, yeah. You know? um, I well, I'll a, throw in one more thing, though, which is, which is interesting that because you mentioned that and I agree 100% that this is viewed kind of as a product, but also the deeper, the way the Swift um, repository is essentially managed so all these different GitHub repositories, they have varying degrees of commit frequency. So th some things really just don't change very quickly, whereas other things can be changing more often. And there's, if you read, so this is an interesting thing, is if you read the, um, the contributing guidelines, so if you want to be a Swift contributor, even if you have no intention of contributing to the, to the Swift project, it's a really great read because it kind of talks about how they go about doing big things in very small steps. And I feel like as a beginner, that's one of the hardest things to learn is like, I want to build this huge feature. And, you know, you could see yourself like working on it for, you know, days and having, you know, you know, 10 changes and, or, you know, hundreds of changes in like, you know, 20 different files. And you, maybe you're going to commit something to Git and you, you just see like the, the mass of code that's just changing in one commit. Um, later on, when you work in a larger team or you get involved, if you continue, you'll see how because we want to do pull re uh, sorry uh, code review, that these huge uh, code review the pull requests with with uh, thousands of changes, they never can get a proper review because you're gonna have to spend another you know full day just understanding what changed, versus these small changes, and can you make a change deep down that doesn't affect anything else? that enables the next change slightly higher up, that enables the next change slightly higher up, that you could actually deploy this huge feature at the very end when you put it all together in a small commit. Like to me, that kind of thinking and planning uh, is just, it's just amazing. Like that's actually really inspiring from a perspective of managing a project like this. So you're saying it's a contributing guideline on the Swift.org website? Yeah, you know, I can find that link and send it uh, also. Okay, definitely. But that's just such an interesting read because you, you learn how to manage a large project. And I think yeah. that's just invaluable. Well, and that's one of the things that I really love about 
object-oriented programming and sort of the, the way that we make our applications in these nice and organized ways. So if you're the kind of person that likes to keep things nice, neat, and organized, uh, that might be why uh, programming gets you excited. For sure. And it sounds like that's what the contributing guidelines kind of talk about. Yeah, yeah, I'm incremental excited. incremental development. I'm excited yeah. to take a look yeah. at that. So what are your favorite ways or your most reliable ways of learning uh, something new? Let's say you want to implement a new Swift language feature or you need to learn a new um, iOS framework in Swift. What's your favorite um, online resource or book? Is there anything like a shout out you can kind of give us? Um, that's a good question. Like I, a recommendation? I, I... Honestly, I am very big on doing it. So playground, I would say you don't even need to go online. Just make a playground. And I think reading docs and, and reading Stack Overflow, obviously, and, and Google and um, finding people doing things like you can read, uh, you know, GitHub repositories, or, you know, find the Cocoa Pods that are that are doing really well or getting a lot of traction and and see what they're doing and how they communicate and how they structure things. Uh, you know, get the thought process. I'm really big on this conceptual level approach where I want to know kind of what it is that I want to achieve and then take steps to get to that goal and make sure that I'm learning what I need to learn as I'm moving forward. I'm, I'm kind of very, dis I, I very much tend to discourage if I were giving advice, you know, don't just grab a cocoa pod, drop it in your project, right. paste in four lines of code and, and move on. Like take, right. take just 15 minutes and read some of the code or understand at least, at least read the initializers, if nothing else. Like how do they, how do they get you started to use this library or this object or this framework? Um, and, and kind of think of it as, as a communication between you and the original author and how clear was that communication? And that's also a really good thing to do if you're gonna if you are gonna pull in like code from outside or if you're gonna do Stack Overflow, you know, read the code, take the time to understand it, and that gives you this this um, ability to make changes if you need to. Now I'm not saying go and change the CocoaPod or change the third party library. Try never to do that. But if you had to re-implement something. That it, you know, the your needs just weren't being met for some special reason that's specific to your application. That you would have the confidence to rewrite this thing because you didn't outsource your understanding of that library. You just happened to leverage the work that someone else already has done. Awesome, <laughs> cool. So, uh, man, there's just so much stuff I want to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> but we don't have enough time. Yeah, well. So one thing I want to uh, ask you is, what do you think makes a good Swift developer or, you know, an iOS developer using Swift? Like, what's one thing you think, like, is really important? Because there's so much out there to learn. Uh, and, you know, I tell people, I tell all my members and people that ask me that I think there's five things you need to get good at, which is the language, Xcode, the frameworks, the the actual documentation library and um, knowing the design patterns mm. you know and to me your ability to to use those things and learn new stuff that's important yeah what's that's one great. thing that's that a... you think is is good because as a new to um, someone coming to iOS development or Swift they're, they're new you know it's easy to get overwhelmed yeah I, I do think I, I would probably uh, I, I love your list by the way that's such a nice list uh, those five are great. The design patterns I would I would focus in on probably just because I'm I'm heavily kind of biased by like the stuff I was talking about uh, you know a minute ago, which is this conceptual um, approach to it to let that guide the the implementation. So design patterns uh, are this. I, I really like to think of it as the uh, it's not the the goal right. The goal is to have this good design and the design patterns actually exist in order to bring attention to that goal. The design patterns themselves are not the result, right? The, the work you put in produces the result. So, you know, when you talk about design patterns, I think that's such a great way to learn is, is to kind of get that guidance that this is kind of how ideally components are structured and communicate with each other. And then what is the right adaptation 
of that for your application. So um, you know, you'll hear a lot of like acronym uh, based uh, you know, architectures like MVC, MVVM, Viper, Clean, uh, you know, Solid, the stuff that I, you know, even was talking about at, at the Cocoa Heads. Um, it's all really great stuff. And it's really, really important to understand how, you know, Cocoa Touch and Cocoa are structured around this MVC idea and where MVC provides really good separation of concerns for a maybe a given component or maybe a given view that it doesn't necessarily provide enough to architect an entire system that you really do need to extend a little further and get more um, sort of broader architectural concepts over time. And that's not going to come quickly. The other advice I would give any uh, someone starting out is to just keep doing it because if you happen to not take every opportunity to refactor every single uh, line of code you write into some well-known design pattern, that doesn't make your program any less valuable, right? Your idea. Like, the most important thing is that you can produce that idea and you will have opportunities to clean it up. You know, I, I do I do really like to kind of try to make a strong effort to write it correctly from the beginning. Uh, however, you have to be you know, shipping is better than perfect, right? So, so you can. There's a hundred ways to say the same thing. Uh, it's really important to, uh, you know, make the necessary compromises at the right times to sort of be able to ship a product or finish something that you start. But of course, always be careful to understand those trade-offs you're making and when is it that that would be a problem in the future. So just. Over time, you get a, an intuition about it. Um, eventually, you don't have to really think about it very much. But I think it's something that um, I can say, uh, you know, with, with 20 years of programming experience, that that I'm I'm nowhere near where I expect to be even six months from now, and that should repeat every you know six months forever, right? Until until you retire. So that's my advice: is just keep learning, keep doing keep balancing learning and doing uh, and, and just continue uh, repeating that process. Um, and that's kind of how this whole industry was built, you know. Uh, so yeah, if, if there's a design pattern, it's kind of that the human pattern that that makes a great programmer at the end of their career or, or at the peak of their career, you know, when they have some experience. Awesome. So before we end, I want to know what's something about Swift that you're excited, something new that you want to learn maybe this weekend or next weekend? Is there some language feature uh, or maybe even a new framework that you haven't um, you know, messed around with yet or something in your personal projects? I know you're doing that code coverage template. Yeah, that is was there something. One. Is there something new that you're kind of excited to learn? You know, before we started uh, this podcast, I was working on this adapter piece for that project and essentially what it's doing it's so it's a core data piece and I think Swift and core data have this this there, there are actually some philosophical differences I think between the kinds of things that people are recommending using in Swift like structs and immutable data and compared with like a core data framework uh, model out of the box uh, where you know everything's mutable and it's also shared and that creates a lot of potential for like threading problems and and um, uh, just just difficulties that you might not expect certain behaviors or you know certain crashes essentially to happen uh, you would you know that's not what you're thinking about when you're writing a simple core data application yet you kind of need to be concerned about certain things so I'm really interested in a swift layer and what that looks like from a clean architecture perspective. So that was a lot of the work that um, I was I was doing for that talk, um, which is which is segregating core data in a in a sort of a, a layer of its own, and having the ability to write the rest of your application kind of not knowing about core data, and just dealing with your sort of business rules in a very abstract generic way. So uh, Swift generics in combination with protocol extensions, I feel like is an area for me that I need to study uh, a bit more and understand a little deeper where are the pitfalls, like what can we get away with or, or how can we model using some of those tools. 
Um, and I've discovered there are, you know, certain limitations there that, you know, are counterintuitive to sort of object-oriented principles. So it's really important to kind of proceed with caution in this area because we have so much sort of object-oriented thinking, in, you know, where we're, okay, well, we're going to write a method in a base class and I'm going to overwrite that method in a subclass. And that's very intuitive and it's very easy to grasp. Um, when you're learning to program, actually protocol extensions don't always behave that way. And as you make your application more and more sort of well-structured, you actually introduce, and this might be a flaw in Swift right now, where you may be expecting a method to run in your instance of the, the object that you're looking at, but it's actually going to execute the protocol extension method because you're not addressing that class directly. And And I don't know if this is too complex for right now, but... Um, I think it's something that you can read about, and there's this really great article that IBM put out that describes some of these pitfalls in using the sort of cutting-edge features of Swift. Regardless, I feel like what the language has added with uh, protocol extensions in particular and generics in general is this completely uh, opened-up view of um, what you can do with your type system. And, you know... It might be an advanced concept over time. It's going to take uh, learning programmers time to digest some of those concepts. But it, if you could just have a simple example with maybe a simple class that has some sort of generic or extension and start reusing it, you understand the benefit of that in terms of you know not rewriting the same logic over and over again and you know keeping your code dry and all these kinds of things. Uh, you're going to, over time, develop more and more intuition of when is it correct to use a subclass version, uh, you know, architecture or design versus uh, a protocol and an extension. And maybe, you know, your entire application is composed of uh, structs, you know, passing data around between objects that behave. You know, the, these kinds of things um, are not always obvious when you're writing uh, for, you know, your first version of your app, if, if it should be a struct or a class, you know, that's a huge decision with a lot of like sort of important consequences. Well, how do we make that decision? So I think developing the, a, a good method and a good set of uh, best practices is, is really important. And I think that's happening in the community and it's happening for me and it should happen for new developers that start to apply themselves to these, to, to understanding these things. And it just comes from a desire to understand it. All right. Well, I look forward to seeing that project, that Swift wrapper, as you said. Oh, yeah. So where can people contact you, uh, if at all, online? So I'm uh, at Garo Hasenjian uh, on Twitter. I won't spell it now. I'll link it in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if, you know, feel free to, to reach out on, on Twitter, of course. And um, all right, cool. Yeah. So I know we kind of talked a little bit about it, but I still want to hear one piece of advice for people learning Swift. Go. Learn Swift. Like learn it, understand it. Don't just don't just learn it, right? Just understand it. Try to understand why things are the way they are. Why a type system is strong and why that is a good thing like why optionals exist you know why we shouldn't message nil I, I think the the existence of swift points to a wealth of motivations and understanding that if you develop intuition that you can make decisions much much more effectively and it ultimately will benefit you and your clients and your users and you know the world right Use understanding um, as you're learning. Uh, you know, that should be the goal. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Garo Husenjian, thank you so much for coming on to the Swift Coders podcast, for sharing your story with us. Uh, you talked about going from, you know, Berkeley and being, you know, in more of like a medical school type of mindset all the way into creating your own business where you're developing websites to you know, being curious about the iPhone and making your own apps, to now working for a very awesome uh, messaging platform where you are an iOS developer and you, you have some really cool, interesting personal projects 
And yeah, I'm just I'm just so glad you came on and, and shared your story with us. And I'm really excited to talk with you again in the future and pick your brain because you obviously have a really uh, a great understanding of, of what you're working on. And, and also the Swift Evolution stuff. I'm really excited to talk more about uh, more uh, with you about that, um, especially as it relates to Swift Coders LA, the meetup, because I want to I want to focus on some Swift evolution and open source contribution with that meetup, you know, actually do that type of stuff. So thank you so much. Thanks, Garrett. And that's the show, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Swift Coders podcast. Feel free to share the show with a friend, leave a review on iTunes, or recommend us on Overcast. If you have any questions, comments, or just want to say hi, contact me on Twitter. Until next time, go swiftly, my friends.